tuning in to the Blue Line Millennial Podcast. My name's Kevin. I will be your host. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by veterans everywhere in the United States because it is Veterans Day. With me, I've got Matt. You may know him off of Instagram as Dark Horse Lionheart. He does some badass videography. Matt, how's things been, man? Good. It's been real good. Real good, good. good. Yeah. Staying safe out there? Yep, always. always. You, are a, uh, you are a veteran as well. Anybody you want to give a shout, a shout out to? All of them. All the veterans out there. Um, especially my dad. He really, he's really a huge influence on me. And uh, today I appreciate him as well as everybody else. Absolutely, know? man. So. I would like to give a shout out to uh, the teammates and the other officers that I work with at my agency. Uh, those of you that you served your country and now you're holding the line, serving your community. So big thanks to you guys. Um, and also, I mean, appropriate Matt was with, uh, was with three, five Marines, right? Yes. Sir. Yeah. So yeah. And yesterday was Marine Corps birthday. Yeah. Huge day. Huge day. You know, we so got the back to back, you know, <laughs> who more appropriate to have on the show than a Marine on veterans day, the day after, uh, the Marine Corps birthday, Matt, I start off everything with an icebreaker question, man. If you could have a drink, uh, a cup of coffee, a beer, whatever the case may be, nice glass of whiskey, neat, um, uh, living or dead, who would it be? Um, honestly, I'd have to say my grandfather on my dad's side. Okay. You know, I like, he passed away, um, while I was in the Marine Corps in Iraq and, uh, they were attempting to get me back in time before he passed away. He was like, he was in hospice, wasn't doing too well. Yeah. I didn't make it obviously, but I would love to, uh, you know, see him again and talk with him and give some of his, some of his uh, feedback on, you know, just his insight on what's going on these days. You know, he's a greatest generation guy, you know. So Absolutely. They're, they're, I think we need them now more than anything. Yeah. With everything, you know, so definitely him, my grandfather on my dad's side. Yeah, I can uh, I can respect that sentiment. My grandfather on my dad's side, I never got to meet him. He was born. Really? He, was, uh, he died, I don't know, eight or so years before I was born. But again, okay. greatest generation. Uh you know, chase the Nazis all over North Africa with the British Army and some uh, bad dudes and some man. bad dudes, man. And it's a different type of heart. Right exactly, there. exactly. Uh, went into went into Italy and Monte Cassino, and uh, I just I would love to get his take on on kind of the way the world's going right now. And he'd probably tell me to suck it up because he lived through the bomb right. in London. So. Right, that's <laughs> what, you know that's, that's what we need, man. That's what we need, and uh, that's what I, that's what we lack. It's it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. But. yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So, um, I got, I found you cause a dude I went to the Academy with, uh, he's with Phoenix PD, uh, okay. shout out to class four, nine, eight from, uh, Arizona law enforcement Academy. And he had posted some of the, some of your work, uh, like awesome. reposted it. Um, so tell us if you will, just a little bit about, uh, about your, your process that you go through in, in documenting law enforcement. And, uh, I mean, you're, you're out there, yeah. uh, uh, amongst all the chaos and, and the flashbangs and pepper yeah, grenades yeah. going off. Well, we, first I'll start with how, how I kind of got into it. I was, I always did, uh, well, I was always interested in like video mm-hmm. photography, stuff like that. I worked for a separate company, um, prior to me doing all this on my own. So it's still fairly new. Um, you know, the George Floyd thing happened, stuff started to take place, the rioting. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, you know, our officers are getting a horrible rap right now for, for the actions of one one guy you know um i decided to go out um just one night i had i had got a camera because i want to start doing my own thing with covid covid started sure the business i was working with got extremely slow yeah um so i started you know i'm gonna get my own camera and do freelance stuff on the side would never had the original attention to go into you know shooting law enforcement and stuff like that um 
the state capitol. I think that was like May 28th. Around there, end of May was when they had the first little the protest down there. It was a Dion Johnson, I believe it was, situation. Um, so I said, I'm going to go out and just get some footage with my camera and test, test it out, you know. It's kind of where it started. And, um, you know, got some good footage, threw a video together, posted it, and the responses were like, wow, you know, this, you know, you see the whole other side of the people that aren't like, fuck the police. Right. You know, and those people are out there. You know, it's a lot more than people that hate the police, you know. So, you know, I just kind of, I kind of stuck with it. But the whole process of going out is, um, it originally was just me getting information on my own, you know, heading out to different things like that. And it kind of turned into some sources that give me information, you know, where, where to be, where to go, mm-hmm. what would be a good situation. So it's kind of it's kind of how it, it grew, man. You okay. Know, just kind of post post the content. And uh, I love, you know, supporting our, our men and women out there, you know, that are literally right now on the front line of this whole thing. Yeah. You know, and that that, that means a lot to me because I got a lot of friends with uh, with Phoenix Police Department, and um, they're good people, man. They, they literally suit up every day. And have the best of intentions, you know, and I feel like they're getting a bad rap and it's unfair for them at this time. So I just try to do my part, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Suiting up every day. It's like, uh, I mean, I, I probably have to tell one person a week, you know, I'll be arresting somebody. I'm like, look, I didn't wake up today wondering how I could fuck with you. Right. Like right. I woke up today knowing I was going to have to go to work and praying mm. to God I was going to come home from work. That's really right. about all that was on my mm. plate. You're the one who did X, Y, Z. Right. Absolutely. And that's a whole accountability thing I think people lack right now, man, and it's unfortunate. And that, that's why I feel like it's almost like you guys at times are fighting an uphill battle, and you guys are steadfast with it, though. You know, you never never uh, waver, which I think is awesome. Yeah, that's one thing I can say I'm super proud of is, uh, I mean, being out, I'm a patrol officer right now, so being out there, you hear people disgruntled. You talk to people from mm-hmm. other agencies. Um you, you can hear the the stress in their voice and you can see it, especially the people that you work with. I mean, the team that I work with now, we've been together for going on two years. Right. Um, a couple of us been together even longer than that. And you can, you can see the definite change in attitude and outlook, but they're still standing, you know, right next to you, maybe a little too close to you in the locker room, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, putting on, putting on their vest and their gun belt and their badge and walking out to their car right. and, and they're still doing it. Uh, so, um, I got to say, it makes me proud really every day that I go to work to, to serve with those same people because it, it, their continued motivation keeps you motivated. It's like everybody, everybody kind of helps everybody else. Right. Right. And I think that that's something that, um, you having served in Iraq, you, you can probably relate to that on, on a military level. Cause as I understand it, you, you get overseas and you're, you're, you've got a, a, one of the videos on your Instagram is, um, one of the is it the brigade combat teams or or regimental combat teams? RCT five, yeah. five going through an ambush. Yeah, and yeah. I, when you're in an ambush, I got to imagine that you don't really give a fuck about apple pie and baseball. You're doing it to keep the other dudes in your truck alive. Absolutely, absolutely. You know that's what it comes down to. And uh, like like you said, it's very uh, similar to what to what you guys go through. You just have more 
restraints and rules that you got to abide sure. by. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> even though you, you know, it's just it's how it I took a CQB <laughs> class years ago uh, uh, when I was thinking my life was going to go in a different direction, and this dude was was teaching, and we were just up in North Phoenix with this this warehouse that he'd rented yeah. out and. And he's like, so, uh, and he, he'd done overseas and he'd done contracting and he was like, yeah, all right. So you got to do down and just as you walk by, just dead check him and shoot him in the face. And I was like, Hey, we can't do that here. Right. Right. That's sort of frowned upon and potentially illegal, right. at least in 40 States. I don't know about the other ones. So, right. um, mission's a little different. Mission's a, a little <laughs> bit different. Your clientele's a little bit different. So, Absolutely. um, uh, backing up a little bit, uh, tell us if you will, just, just, uh, about Matt, how did Matt come to be right here uh, in my podcast studio? Where'd, where'd you grow up? Where'd you come from? Oh, well, I'm, I'm native, Arizona, okay. born and raised, Phoenix, um, Mountain Point High School. Okay. So that's, for, for those that aren't familiar, that's uh, Ahwatukee area, South South Phoenix. Um, and en- enlisted into the Marine Corps straight out of high school. Went in, uh, I went in pre-9-11, so it was still kind of, there wasn't, I mean, we had Yemen, I think was that USS Cole. Yeah. 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 I, I remember watching that at my, at my, with my dad when that happened. And I believe I was in the process of, of enlisting. Um, but there was no, you know, there was no war yet. So right. we went in, um, my dad was an infantry Marine as well. You know, he asked me, uh, he, he never once, by the way, pressured me to go in or anything. Because people always ask, oh, your dad's a Marine, so you felt like you had to go. I was like, no, you know, I, I really didn't. I just was, uh, I literally was like, you know, that's what I want to do within a couple of days. And I went down and, and signed up. So I uh, left to boot camp November 4th um, of 2000. Yeah, it was 2000. Um, obviously, boot camp came home. We went to SOI Camp Pendleton. So uh, after SOI, I was stationed in uh, Camp Pendleton, California with Lima 3-5, which is the 5th Marine Regiment. Dark Horse, that's where I got my name from. That's what Dark Horse Lionheart okay. thing. So, so yeah, uh, from there, deployed to uh, Okinawa, Japan. After, well, at 9-11 had happened. Uh, my unit didn't get sent for that. So we ended up on the 31st Mew, which was out of uh, Okinawa, Japan. It was a forward deployed unit. Um, came home. Then Iraq, you know, popped off. So Kuwait staged there and uh, did the whole invasion thing, um, you know, and that that's in the books, you know. Everybody right. knows what happened there. So it's pretty much what happened. I came uh, came home um, from Iraq. Um, they stop-lost us for a little bit, ended up getting out and uh, moving back to Arizona at that time and, uh, you know, worked some jobs and, um, when I before I got into the photography, like I was saying, I was working for a company out here, a clothing apparel company, that uh, focused on like powerlifting, MMA stuff like that. Okay. So, yeah, I man, that's kind of how I ended up here now. And you, uh, you lo- seriously looking at you, you never been inside of a gym in your entire <laughs> life. So how, how weird that you ended right. up selling or working for a clothing and apparel company. Right, right, right. Trying to actually lose weight right now. Oh, okay. Trying to cut. Well, <laughs> best of luck cut. to you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially with Thanksgiving and the holidays coming around. Right. Worst time. Worst time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those of you listening, I've got two dogs. You're going to hear them in the background because they're being assholes right now. So it is what it is. Somebody's probably at the door delivering one of the ten thousand Amazon packages that we get. Um, was there the last guest that I had on, uh, Marvis, who's a teammate of mine? He and I spoke a little bit about about being the new guy and about um, shared experiences when when Lima three five. When 
when 9-11 popped off <laughs> and other Marine Corps units were sent to Afghanistan, uh, was there a feeling within your your unit, within Lima Company, that like, oh, shit, we got left behind? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I remember watching 9-11 happen. We, we were actually getting ready to do a company PT. Um, for those that don't know, it's like a physical, just going to run, physical mm-hmm. train as a, as a company, which is a pretty large number of Marines. You know, you got like three platoons, weapons platoon. And um, we were getting ready to go on the run. We had we had all formed up on, on the basketball court. And uh, I don't know exactly how it came about, like we're, we're under attack, but I remember all like 12 or 15 of us were crammed into one barracks room and other Marines were in other rooms because not every room had a TV. Sure. You know, a couple guys did, and we were, we sat there and watched this happen. And we were like, you know, for, you know, as everyone else was like, oh, this is like an accident, whatever. Then the second one hits, and then they fall, and you're like, then the Pentagon, you know, and then we're like, holy shit, we're fucking, we're going to war. Right. And it was weird because to us, we were excited, like, this, it's fucking, let's go. This is what we've been training for, you know? Um, it's finally game day, you know. We so we all wanted to get some. Um, the whole base went on a lockdown, but yeah. So fast forward, um, we ended up not getting sent. It was mostly first Marines, I believe, from like Camp Horna, which is another part of uh, Pendleton. So yeah, absolutely, we kind of felt like shit. This sucks, you know. And then you're in a, you know, you see the rest of the Marine Corps like fighting, and you're mm-hmm. like, shit, we're on a ship. Yeah, you're like, yeah. I am on a float, like on a cruise along Okinawa. Exactly, you know. So, yeah, it was, there was a little bit of a feeling that we had got left behind, you know. But then, obviously, the rumors started to kick in, like, we're going to Iraq now. And then you're like, okay, cool, we'll get some, you know. Right, right. And did that, that like, yeah, like, let's, let's get at it, let's go fuck shit up. Did that, I mean, what was it, to the best of your ability, if you could put it into words, like, as everybody was was spinning up and, and loading up Humvees and, 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 you know, whatever other vehicles you guys were using to, to leave your camps and to cross that border. To actually cross. And, um, what was it like? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, so before we – I remember getting ready to go uh, from the States. We, we flew out of March Air Force Base. We get to Kuwait. And, well, we, one of the significant memories I had was, you know, it's kind of all surreal. So we're on the plane. We're flying. Uh, we get into like Kuwaiti airspace, and then we start. You can feel the plane start to come down. Like, all right, we're landing. And I remember looking out the window, and we were being escorted in by like fighter jets. And we're like, this, this is fucking for real. Yeah, you know, it's like you this don't is, see that every day. No, so, you know, you know, your, that's not your Southwest flight into Vegas. No, so, so then you're like, this is this is like no shit, you know. And uh, so we get in Kuwait, and that you kind of got like that feeling. Like this is it. We're going, and still, you know, anybody that's familiar with the military, they're it's always hurry up and wait. You know, we were there like two, I think almost three months before we actually, almost three months before we actually crossed, you know, our units were there just staging and staging and you don't hear much. Um, you know, we had a a couple embedded reporters, Chip Reed actually was one of them. He's still, I think he's still with MSNBC, but he was there and you know, you see those guys and you're like, okay, they don't send dudes out here just to fucking come here and then Mm -hmm. go home. The rumors come in. We're all, oh, we're just going to, it's a show of force. You know, we're, we're, we're to show of force. We're just going to go home after this. So, you know, that whole time you have that anticipation, you know, the boredom of waiting and waiting. Then, you know, we finally got the word. It was within like probably like two, maybe a day or so, maybe two days that they're like, you know, we're crossing. This is it. Um, and then, you know, you, you have the whole, uh, 
it was like lobster and steak. They had like a lobster and steak dinner while we were staging it right across the next day. And we're like, yeah, again, you get that feeling like this is for real. Yeah, they're not just, they're not pulling that right. culinary delight out for right. no reason. Right, you know. And, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of emotion. I remember, you know, thinking like, what's it going to be like? We're going to war. Like, what is war like? You know, you go through the whole fucking... I remember looking, all you see is just desert. You know, is this like fucking going to be like Braveheart? We just go at each right. other and run? Because, like, you know, you don't know. Right, yeah. You know, and you met, you know, we're doing rain. The only thing you can kind of think think to relate to is like the training you've done. So one of the training we would do is like a range 429 palms at Cax. And it's just a huge range where you're like literally fire team rushing through the desert. And you're like, shit, is it going to be like that? It's gonna, You know, what's it going to be like? You know, so you're thinking, you're thinking... So I remember uh, we loaded up into, we were in tracks, which were like the armored personnel carriers mm-hmm. the Marine Corps uses. Um, we loaded up in there. Um, you start hearing about how, we're, you know, they're doing the bombing, uh, shock and all kind of thing. Um, I remember driving up to the border. We were all like huge. It was pitch dark, so we didn't really see anything, but we knew we were like in a huge movement. It was a, it was a whole regiment moving. Um you know, you hear it coming over the radio that they breached uh, the border. And again, you know, you're picturing, you're in an Amtrak and you're thinking like, you know, what's it look like out there? Uh, you're thinking, you know, what is the actual breach? Again, you're just only trying to think about training when they had Bangalore torpedoes. It's like, is that what it is? You right. Know? So uh, I remember, I remember uh, sitting in the track and, you know, you would hear like artillery's hitting, 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 flying over us. And then um, we sat there for hours like literally hours just waiting waiting and we crossed and we some of us kind of passed out we woke up and i remember like looking up and we all popped out we were like we're in iraq and i looked out and i distinctly remember there was like a guy he was a like a shepherd with like a cane and he had like a some sheep with them and i'm like the fuck we're in iraq it's like this is war you know it's like straight out of the bible yeah it's i was like this is not what i expected you know and then um, I think we pushed for like a day or two. Then after that, then we started getting, you know, we got ambushed. And that's when it was that we, we got hit the first time, you know, and kind of then it just started. So what had happened was we breached and they kind of like, they weren't at the border, obviously. They weren't waiting to fucking, you're not going to get in our border. They, right. We came through. They all fell back for the most part. And then uh, our first encounter was with uh, the Republican Guard. A lot of them had surrendered, but that was our first ambush. Um, we lost uh, Corman that day. Um, so, yeah, was that, that's when it got really real, you know. But, yeah, that whole anticipation, um, it was pretty – something I'll never forget, you know, the feeling. I do remember actually listening uh, – one of the – one of my um, platoon sergeants had a little radio, and they were – we were listening to Bush addressing the nation. Mm-hmm. And um, – now I see. Now that I came back, I see the video. It's one where he was at the desk in the Oval Office. And he's addressing the nation, saying that at this moment, our forces are invading Iraq or right. whatever. And I remember sitting in the track listening to that, like, "Holy shit," you know. So, and then shock and awe was going on in Baghdad, and we were hundreds of miles from there. But right. still, you know that that was another amazing thing to come back and actually see the footage of it. Cause I didn't, we didn't see it, you know, we didn't know. Yeah, that, that was pretty intense. Yeah, all you're seeing is your little corner of the invasion. Right, not the right. Whole and ours at that time was boring. You know? Right. It really wasn't like, you know, we, we didn't breach through and we're fucking immediately hitting and rolling. 
just for where we were at, there wasn't that much action yet. You know, some other units were getting hit. I think, uh, I think it was uh, First Marines were east of us. If I'm, I may be wrong, but they they had secured like Basra and they got into some shit over there. But uh, yeah, for us, the initial invasion was not that intense. And how long did you do the one tour? How many? How long were you in Iraq for? I uh, went all the first time. Yeah, the, so the whole invasion. Okay. The whole invasion up to Baghdad, and then uh, we we kind of came back into. Uh, what was called the Diwania city where we, where we stayed at. Yeah. I got you. You have a, uh, and I, I hope you don't mind. I did screenshot it just so I could, uh, read it. You have a post about, uh, Diwania and, yeah. and, uh, the, just what you saw compared to like, what's, what's here. Um, you okay? Yeah. If I read that real quick. Oh yeah, it's yeah. fine. So, uh, this is on dark horse Lionheart. It's dark horse underscore Lionheart on, on Instagram. It says, uh, near Ad-Diwania, uh, Iraq, on a mounted patrol with my squad of killers. We were at war in a foreign country, living fast and dying young. This time of year, and especially now in these times, I think a lot about my Marine brothers. I think about how we all fought for what we believed in deep in our souls, how we held in our heart that we lived in the greatest country on this planet. Looking back at fighting a war in a country like Iraq is especially sobering now, a country which was truly oppressed, a country that truly had corruption from the very top all the way down to the quote-unquote police departments of every city in the country. I wonder how, if at all, the perception and radical ideologies of these people currently in the streets that are protesting and screaming defund the police, among other things, would change if they truly understood what it was like to live in an oppressed country. A country where you had no way to just dial 911 and have somebody rush to help you in any way that they can in what could possibly be the worst time of your life. Regardless, I still love this country I fought for. My brothers who gave all love to this country they died for. These times will not deter my confidence or pride in our great nation, but only strengthen it. We have persevered before, and we will persevere now. This is, and we are, the United States of America. Semper Fi. Dude, I read that the first Absolutely. time. And I still, I mean, just reading it now, I get chills. Because yeah. it's a sentiment that, that we've all shared. Like I said, I work with, um, with, with three veterans on my patrol team. Last year, it was... Uh, it was the uh, same three veterans. One of them, it was just a, we, one left to a different team. Mm-hmm. We get, we got a, a new, uh, a newer officer. Uh, and you, you talk to them uh, about what they've seen in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's almost like, I don't want to speak for them when I, I don't want to say it's a slap in the face, but they, they look around at what these people are, are angry for. Right. Even if, again, having not served in the military, but you look at someplace like Hong Kong, uh, right. Earlier this year or late last year, when when the the when the the Beijing government was going to come in, and oh, now you're a part of China, and they were waving American flags, right. and they wanted what we have. Absolutely. Um, you know, it doesn't. You don't have to look very hard to see uh, images of police corruption. I mean, I've seen a video of a, I think he was a Pakistani police officer shoot a dude with a, an HK 308 in the stomach, intentionally trying to not kill him immediately. Yeah. Um, and so it's. As a cop now, you, you see all these people right. that that truly think we're walking up to people on the sidewalk and like blowing their brains right. out. Right. Um, what uh, what what did you uh, see over over in Iraq and what's what's kind of the well, biggest I, thing I you just, shake your head about? I just you know, well, just to go kind of back to what you were saying, like I, I like you said, you you weren't in the military, so you don't. I don't personally think you even have to be in the military to, to see that. All, all you have to do is, you know, just under just just do a little research, right? And look around the world and see that we truly are like 
the best country to be in, man. We truly are. And I think that's, and you know, I don't want to put it on whole one whole generation of people, but it just seems like it's the younger generation now. Yeah, absolutely. They, they don't, they don't grasp that, you know, I don't, they don't grasp that. And it's unfortunate. This has been within the past, like, you know, like 10, 15 years. Right. You know, it's crazy. That's why we're in such a profound time. And yet, you know, when you're over there and you truly see a country that's oppressed, you know, I wish like these people could go there for a day or two just to see what what real oppression is like, you know. And I guarantee you they'll be they'll be back here as quick as they can. You right. Know? And, 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 you know, so it, what it's like, it, you know, over there was a war-torn country. And, um, you know, also another thing that was horrible was, you know, I I came home and there was, everyone was like, oh, they didn't want you guys there. I saw more people there in Iraq that appreciated us and uh, loved us being there than, than didn't, you know. They, they, you know, we were there to, to try to, to try to fix shit and get, get things um better for them there were you know saddam was killing his own people right putting people into wood chippers and gas yeah, with, and with this, sarin and vx and right all. and that had been going on for years and you know these people not americans but the the majority the, the majority of these people that are protesting against the police and all this stuff they don't they don't understand that, that the things that they in their mind like they are so horrible that go on a hundred times worse real real things do go on in other countries right you know and the, so you know, that, that's my biggest thing. I, that, that was one of my main motivations w- with the page as well, is to, like, really show, you know, as, as well as I can, you know, the, the job that, you know, law enforcement does, because it's not like that, you know. Then, you know, it's just unfortunate. Um, one incident or a few incidences that, you know, that are wrong, you know, change people's whole perception yeah, for law enforcement. absolutely. And they're the first people that are, are calling 911 if shit happens, you know. Yeah, and that's what I, I mean, I you try know? to... <laughs> I have to remind myself, uh, I mean, it, we have to remind ourselves of it, and we try to remind each other when we're out there that people still need us. You know, yeah. I uh, um, finished up a call uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, um, or actually it was just a couple days ago, and ended up knocking on a, a door trying to find, we were just doing like a welfare check, so trying to find this person, and we went off of their old driver's license mm-hmm. information. We didn't know it was all knock on the door. And uh, uh, this this dude opens the door, and it's it's a low income housing neighborhood. It, right. it is what it is. Um, and uh, he was like, "Oh, they haven't lived here. Like we've been here since December." I'm like, oh, "All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for being so cool. Uh, you know, have a good day." Right. And he wanted to have a 15 minute conversation about what he could do to get hired. Right. And I left that situation going, like, here I am in a neighborhood that is they they don't often like us coming into their neighborhood. Right. You know, it's a very tight knit community. And this dude wants to have a full on conversation about trying to get a job as a police officer. And I left that a thinking to myself like, well, Hey, like, fuck you, dude. You went into that thinking that this dude was going to be an asshole to you right. or that this dude was going to be like, yeah, I don't have shit to say to you. Mm-hmm. And then he went and completely turned my own perception on, on, on my head. And, right. um, just knowing that it, the, I, I don't want to beat the silent majority term to death, but it really is that, I mean, yeah. there's a, a, just a huge swath of people out there right. that do nothing but support us. And they know, yeah, somebody's going to fuck up every now and then. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's just life, man. We get, right. airline, we get airline pilots that do shit. They're not supposed to, we get doctors that do right. stuff. They're not supposed to, we get teachers that do stuff. They're not supposed to. <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, it, it, um, there's, there's bad apples in every group, but you Absolutely. just simply cannot go around judging, you know, judging everybody. I, 
like I talked to a guy, uh, a buddy of mine who came back from Helmand province. Oh, wow. Um, and, and he was, you know, like, Oh man, these Afghanis and they don't like us and this, that, and the other thing. But as time went on and he got further and further away from having been at war, it was, Oh, but I remember that one guy on base who was like making like hand sewing Velcro patches and, right. and it was, and it was, you know, Oh, the kid with the bootleg DVDs and he was, yeah. he was cool. And, uh, you know, Oh, I wonder whatever happened to that dude making, making the non the footbread and yada, yada, yada. So absolutely that the one thing that cops out there need to understand is again, and myself included, cause it gets, you get, I mean, you lose your motivation and it doesn't, right. it doesn't take very much out there, but it's just that, uh, you know, the good people exist and they like us. So absolutely. Um, with, with the documenting, I mean, you look at everything that's happened this year with, with the, uh, the, the cancel culture. I mm-hmm. mean, and like the one that, that comes to mind for me is live PD getting canceled. Right. And now it, it, with, um, I think did cops get canceled this year too, or did it, did yeah, it just no, like that, go off I think, air? Or, I think that was right after life. Right PD. after, yeah, right, right after life. Kind of like a one, two right after, but it's, I mean, it's basically now become almost incumbent upon like freelance. I'm going to call you a journalist, freelance right. journalist like yourself. You're like the bodybuilding Peter Parker, bro. So <laughs> uh, when you're out there, I mean, do you, do you go out there like completely like gray man? Like nobody knows who you are or, Originally, yeah, I, I tried, um, and then um, a couple of these, uh, what do you? I guess the BLM Antifa guys, they found my page, so they know now. Yeah, they see me out there, and they'll straight up call me out. Oh, he's out here. Like, what's up, man? You know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I originally tried to go out, you know, just just to try to stand my own, just get the footage or whatever. But um, also on the flip side, a lot of departments, you know, they, they know me, which is great. You know, I'll be out there and they look out, which is awesome. You know, I want to, especially Phoenix PD, I appreciate them a lot. Um, so yeah, but I think I just came with like the page growing, you know, um, some of the media guys that I know as well. So, you know, we kind of, we, we do our thing. And so I, I can't stay like just anonymous. It's just me. Right. So I don't have people to go out there, you know, that's kind of been a thought, but nothing that's going to happen anytime soon. And have you, uh, uh, during your, have you, has your filming taken place exclusively like here in Arizona? Yeah, it has. Um, I've been looking at a couple other places that I might go. Uh, one is LA, um, LAPD, uh, SWAT guy I've been in contact with, uh, trying to still make that go through. Sure. But as you know, with everything going on right now, a lot of agencies are kind of tentative to just bring a guy on. Right especially that's kind of like on the outside with what they consider maybe media, you know? Um, so, you know, we, we got to work through some things and we'll see what happens. Um, you know, MCSO has brought me out, but, uh, yeah, mostly, mostly Arizona right now. I got mostly you. Arizona. Yeah. The, you know, when they talking about how, how you're looked at as media, I, I would say that there is a, I don't want to call it a, a distrust of media mm-hmm. amongst law enforcement, but if you're on a scene and you see that, you know, that van roll up and right. the satellite goes up and you're like, Oh, okay. Here they yeah, are. Absolutely. And you're like, uh, uh, Oh, Hey COVID, I can wear a mask. Like, great. I'm just going to turn my back and not look at it. Right. Like there's like this, uh, like it's like the boogeyman. You yeah. don't, you don't want to be seen by, by the media. Right. Um, and, and I try not to associate with, with, with them, you know, right. I, I try, I don't want to be caught up in that same thing, you know? And, uh, you know, I've been contacted by a couple stations out here. Um, 
about my footage, you know, and for, for, so for one example, somebody was asking me, a reporter out here, I'm not going to say the, the name, sure, or whatever, sure. but yeah. a reporter out here asked me for some footage, you know, well, what's the footage for? Well, well, he was, he was asking me about when they did the, when Phoenix PD did the whole full mobilization, you know, they, they had, everybody was out. Right. Burton Bar, they had the whole thing packed with Tahoe's and stuff. And, uh, this reporter wanted to do a story on how Phoenix PD was paid overtime. Hey, uh, you got any footage for that? I'm like, well, yeah, I got, I was out that night. You know, I got all kinds of footage. Can you get some footage of all the Tahoe's and all the officers that were parked and, you know, waiting, you know, what's it for? I want to do a story about how they got paid so much and, you know, I don't think, I don't, I just think that, that that's not right, you know. Oh, shiesty bastard. And I go, no, man, that's not, you know, yeah. that's not what I'm about, you know, so no, I'm not going to do that, so. You know, I like to get to my point is I try not to get caught up and considered being media. And I don't really like that. Right. You know, I'm like, I, I'm freelance. I do my own thing. I have my own, my own, uh, my own agenda. And it's just definitely not a media. Right, right, right. That, know. that just, I, I wish I could say it boggles my mind. The guy asking about the overtime that you look at, I mean, you probably see all the same, like the meme pages on Instagram. Oh, and yeah. It's like, it's like, Hey, you know, Antifa, do a crime. I need a lift kit on my truck. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, just right. All the OT that you're pulling. Right, right. Um, or like, hey, it's almost Christmas. Can you guys ride again? Yeah, and it's like they're not. Yeah, especially in Phoenix, man. They're not. They don't think. You know. Uh, you know, Phoenix PD. I, I'm pretty sure DOU. They've been out. They're still out there. You know, hundreds, yeah. hundreds plus days, man. And they're getting paid for that as they should. Right. Well, when you look you at know? I mean, across the nation, you've got 100 or more days that some of these agencies have been yeah. out there. They're they're on call. They're literally, they have worked every single day yeah. for 30, 60, 90 or more days. Mm-hmm. They're not seeing their families. They're not, right. because they're on call, they're not able to get to their kids' birthdays or their anniversaries. Uh, you know, they're not able to go and, and see family members, especially now of all times, dude. Like, I got a 95 or 96 year old grandmother I'm trying to do the math in my head, but um, it, it's a rarity for me to see her, and I'm not on call. Right. Just right. because, I mean, just because the scheduling doesn't always line up. Mm-hmm. Um, and with COVID and, and her, her uh, assisted living home that she, she's in, it. what do you want from these officers? You just want them to get, like, straight pay for putting their ass on the line and getting Molotov cocktails thrown at them and right. bricks. And the big one here is frozen water bottles. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Like, uh, I think <laughs> the least you could do is financially compensate your officers for having to, to literally stand out there with uh, – you know, you look at like a, like the the riot control officers, insert whatever acronym they go by here, um, but they've got flame retardant clothing on. Well, your patrol officers largely don't. I right. mean, you know, we're wearing stuff that'll right. <laughs> just stick to us. That's oh, not yeah. good. So I, you know, I'd like like something that says like, oh hey, here's here's extra money. Right. Like, right. Thank you for it's overtime. It's the same as if. You know, I get a late arrest. You know, I had one the other night, and she had, like, six different aliases I had to wade through with all of her warrants. Well, I was held over. Well, I held myself over to conduct my investigation. There's overtime in that. Absolutely. You know, you're out there. You're still doing your job past the point that you would ordinarily be going home. That, almost by definition, is overtime. Absolutely. So, have uh, you said that with uh, the growth of your social media page, the, the cops have, you know, more or less, they know who you are. Have you had any yeah. cops that are be like, "Hey, who the fuck are you?" You know what? Um, not in Phoenix anymore, really. Um, they a lot of them say hi, say what's up and stuff. Hey, man, you're that guy. I'm like, yeah, hey, you know, that's cool. So that's cool. But um, a lot of uh, I think 
last time that happened, um, I stopped over at something in Tempe, mm-hmm. or no, it was Mesa. It was Mesa, like a, like a high risk stop, and you know they're looking, they're always curious because not often a dude just walks up. Right. Sometimes, and there's a couple other guys out here who are the opposite. They do, but they're the the cop watch guys. Yeah. Yep. You know, those knuckleheads, and that's another group I don't want to get thrown into. Right. Right. Because, right. You know, and uh, those guys are just dicks. But um, yeah. So it. it Sometimes they'll say, hey, you know, what are you doing? The basic questions, you know, and I and I answer. I tell them like, hey, man, you know, that's what I do. Sometimes I'll just show the page real quick. Oh, all right, cool, good to go. You know? Yeah, I think you once know? people see that page, it's like, and, and I mean, I, if you those of you listening, if you have not checked out Dark Horse Lionheart on Instagram, the the video footage that you put out there is is fucking awesome. Like the editing's clean, Thanks, like man. everything looks looks real awesome. Did you kind of a, might be a stupid question, but on yeah. your page there's a um, is it your dad who's like watering the grass and then there's uh, oh, yeah, like a yeah. montage of Vietnam yeah. you put all that together? Yeah, I, I was actually going to post that again today for Veterans Day later on. Yeah, that's that's my dad and that's something I threw together real quick. And that was actually just uh, a kind of an idea I had. I wanted to do like a little vid on him. And um, I think that was a day, like the, that was one of the first uh, vids I did with mm-hmm. my camera and I was just testing it out. But yeah, that's my dad. Yeah, and that came out, I mean, just beyond clean. What yeah. was it? I mean, did you just kind of like you said, you just or you COVID hit and you're like, well, hey, I'm going to go do this. But was there anything that that immediately comes to mind is like, oh, shit, like this is making me want to go out and film w- um, whatever. No, I like I said, I always did. Uh, I was always into doing video stuff like in my old job. Um, we would do a lot of videography stuff is obviously nothing to do with law enforcement. It was, right. we, we did MMA stuff, um, powerlifting and stuff like that. Um, so there wasn't, there was not, I mean, outside of like the whole George Floyd thing, then I stood there, then the civil unrest that mm-hmm. began that there wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to go out and get footage and create a page into this, you know? So it, it kind of just grew into that. So no, there wasn't like one significant shoot that I did. And it was like, this is what I'm going to do. It kind of just grew and grew. And I kind of liked it. Uh, I like, well, when I say I liked it, I like showing, you know, like that good side showing, you know, the whole, cause the media shows one side and, I've always thought that, you know, they don't show the good for the most part. You right. Know? The, the the mainstream, the mainstream. There's a lot of little organizations out there that do their own thing. But, um, yeah, so there wasn't, like, one significant event or one shoot I did that, you know, made me want to made me want to do it like that. Well, I mean, I think that, that just about every cop out there, at least anybody who's familiar with their with your page, is uh, super uh, appreciative of, of what you're filming. You, you say that, you know, media really only shows what they – you know what fits their narrative right i mean that's yeah that's they like to that, start they like to start drama right. you know really and that's something that shouldn't be a big mystery there's a picture out there and i think it's actually from gulf war one um where the it's zoomed in on like an iraqi prisoner of war and mm. you can just see the barrel of of an m16 but then you see and that's what was like put on the newspaper right and then you see the whole image and the m16 is just slung over the front of this like u.s soldier's chest yeah. And there's a dude, another U.S. soldier, giving this Iraqi prisoner of war a canteen to drink out of. Right. And, yeah. you, and you're just sitting there like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, the, right. what you're showing gives off the connotation of like, right. oh, yeah, we're just, we're just out here uh, holding the gun to this dude's head, trying to you right. know, do whatever. When in actual fact, the rifle's really only in play because, oh, hey, we're in a foreign country at war. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, hey, here's Doc over here trying to get this dude to drink some right. water so that right. we can take, take care of him. Yeah, that's, that's that's the type of stuff they do, man. <laughs> yeah, I just it, it just uh, 
boggles my mind. If you could for uh, a bit, because uh, one thing that goes along with uh, there's a lot of police pages and there's a lot of uh, police pages that focus on fitness. So one of your videos, you're benching like 425 or something, four, heavier than that probably. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not that strong right now, but yeah, my my... About a year ago, I was at like 500. I was getting ready for Holy Christ. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, was, I hit that twice. And was that, I mean, was it the Marine Corps that got you into your physical fitness? No, honestly, powerlifting? to be honest, uh, I, I got into, um, when I came back from Iraq, I had some issues, man, with the PTSD thing. Um, I was struggling for a while. I got uh, into, you know, not so good habits, alcoholism. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, uh, I was dealing with the whole stigma of, uh, you know, it's weak to ask for help. Never wanted help. Never wanted to talk to anybody about it. You know, you're a Marine. Suck the fuck up kind of thing. That was that whole culture at that time. Right. You know? um, so I, I was I was, I was, was battling some demons. Uh, I got into just fitness in general. I didn't understand that there was, um, you know, bodybuilding, uh, the physique guys, powerlifting. Mm-hmm. So I just started, I, I started going to the gym with, with, uh, one of my old buddies, he was like, he's an older guy, a mentor of mine. Hey, man, why don't you get into uh, going to the gym with me, you know? So I started lifting. Um, it, it actually, it was great because it, it kept me from drinking. It literally brought me out of, like, drinking all the time and stuff like that. And then the whole powerlifting thing came in because I just love to lift heavy, you know? Like, I love to, like, feel, you know, st- that strength and what I could do and see how far I could go. I did that for... Uh, you know, the whole kind of the first year just lifting heavy. Then I got into like actual powerlifting stuff like that. So, yeah, man, um, that that stuff is awesome to do to see how to see how strong you can get, sure. how far you can go. But it's just it's hard on my body. It's hard on anybody that does it yeah. for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's you, just you can't keep at it for for decades and decades, right? No, the the the, the longevity of like a, a a guy that does that's not too long i mean there's a few guys out there that are they're still in the game and you know it's amazing you know stan efferdine uh mark bell you know guys like that they've been doing it for years and years but for me kind of already beat up from the grunts you know in the military and stuff like that yeah, your injuries are not service connected here's 10 <laughs> percent exactly exactly you know so you know but uh yeah that 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 was about a, over a year ago when I was hitting all my peaks. You know, I got I reached my goals six hundred uh, six hundred squat. I did a six hundred deadlift and a five hundred bench. That's what I wanted to do. You know, I got them all. Um, so so I'm good with that. Now I'm kind of I've changed gears into you know just getting back to like being physically actually physically fit. You know, sure. being able to run. Um, you know, because when I, when I was I was at one time like two ninety. You know, I was not running. Right. You know, I was not running. I was not doing anything that, in my mind, was considered fit, you know, because I mean, with the military aspect of being fit or even you guys, law enforcement, you know, there's one thing of being strong and a whole different thing of actually being fit. Yeah. You know, so th- that's what we're trying to get back to, you know, but it, it's cool. Um, you know, I'm down right now, like 20 pounds from when I started, so I'm, I feel great, you know. Good, good. Yeah, you talk about, I mean, being strong and being fit, where was that? Uh, post academy uh for me i can remember uh we we do well we did uh, a week one of our ftos was a a gang detective and and so we we rolled around with him and his unmarked and you know played played jump out gang and and jump jump and all that stuff and ended up chasing this kid for like a quarter mile right around there um and was more or less okay at the end of it you know it was it was a it was a good jaunt but my academy sergeant 
uh, 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 if you're listening to this boss, uh, you know who you are. You're, you're the, uh, DPS sergeant who had us run up and down South mountain all the time. Uh, ultimately <laughs> I am appreciative of it. I wasn't really at the time, but I wasn't going to say that cause I didn't want more PT. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, a year ago, got into another foot pursuit with a dude again, maybe a quarter mile. I dude, I was sucking wind. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> I sat there like two years on graveyards, you know, eating like right, shit right. and not doing any sort of physical fitness. Um, and, and that made me realize like, Oh, okay. I probably need to fix something. Right. And then, then I had a kid and, and then it's just, you know, to a yeah. point it's making excuses and, and to a point it's just sheer exhaustion from right. it being up every three hours. Yeah. Um, but we had one of my teammates, we, there was a, uh, pretty good tussle uh, a few weeks back and he had come uh, lateraled from another agency back east and and he's down something like 50 pounds wow that's uh, awesome from from last year to this year and the next day in briefing the one thing that he hit on hugely was if I hadn't been in as good a shape as I am right yeah. now if it was me last year I don't know that that would have gone right. the way I wanted it to um, I mean and, and you probably saw that it, that physical fitness, there, there's certainly an aspect to it, especially when you're in combat, right? Right. When, oh, when, absolutely. When you're, you're taking rounds because you have to be able to breathe and think yeah. and you're carrying God only knows how much yeah. weight, especially in an urban setting. I mean, down alleyways, down roads, up, yeah. up flights of stairs. Absolutely. And and uh, I was talking about this with one of my buddies, actually, a couple of days ago, This a, a, a Marine that um, he's trying to get like back in shape as well. You know, and I, and I was telling him, you know, we're Marines, so we talk hard to each other. You know, yeah, I'm telling yeah. like, hey, man, I, I honestly feel like it's bullshit that, you know, we're out of the Marine Corps. We're the first ones to say, hey, we're fucking Marines. We're, you know, like we, we take pride in what we did, you know, who we are, but we can't even do a fucking PFT. Right. Like, I think that's bullshit, man. So, like, we try to hold each other accountable. We're trying to get there. But, yeah, like you were saying, there's a whole different aspect of actually being fit being strong and then being mentally strong which i feel like is the whole is like that third that third catalyst because sure. you know i i tell people you know i came back from iraq i was little i was like one probably like 180 190 maybe you know and that's kind of little I'm, I'm like six one so i was like a skinny dude but if you told me at that time you can't fucking pick 500 pounds up off the ground I'd look at you and say fuck you yeah i can because that's that mental strength right. you know what i mean that i just went through war you can't tell me shit you know, so I feel like, um, you know, like the whole, like you said, in the law enforcement profession, you know, that, that stuff needs to be on point, you know, and, I, and I'm going to sit here and tell you I'm a work in progress. I'm trying to get there back to myself, you know, and uh, get fit again mentally and everything like that. So, you know, it is crucial, especially for you guys, you know, they're right. out there every single day and, and your life can literally depend on it. Absolutely. You know? I mean, you know, the last thing I remember, uh, I forgot one of, one of my um, sergeants in the Marine Corps, you say, you know, the, you know, my one of his biggest fears was actually how horrible would it be to fucking to die because you weren't in shape, like you got shot because you weren't in shape, you couldn't fight back because you weren't in shape, like that's that sucks, you know yeah. what I mean? So and it's a harsh reality, and sometimes it's hard to like look in yourself and be like, dude, I'm not where I need to be, you know. Uh, a lot of people, you know, officers, obviously families, kids and stuff. We need to think about those things. You yeah. Know? So. Yeah, I, uh, I've been uh, making more of an effort. Uh, my buddy Brent, he'll, well, I'll bring him on the podcast at some point in time so you can uh, regale us with how much I don't go mountain biking with him. But that's that's <laughs> his thing is is, oh, okay. is mountain biking. And um, 
I mean, I am not God's gift to physical fitness by any stretch of the imagination. I also don't enjoy mountain biking that much. I'm sorry to all the mountain bikers listening. <laughs> um, but I got on the rowing machine yesterday and just wow. cranked, cranked out a thousand meters as fast as I could. Yeah. And I was, I was fried at the end of it, but you look around at cops and, and like you said, we got, we have to be harsh towards each other sometimes because yeah. that's the language that we understand by right. and large. We can't sit there and be like, Oh, well, okay, well, Here's my, you know, here, gentle wallflower. I need right. you to, to try right. and get it just a little bit stronger. No, it's like, hey, asshole, you're going to die if you Absolutely. don't fix yourself. Right. We had earlier this year, we had a, a shooting that will be, it is a career defining event um, for probably everybody that was there by and large. I mean, I think the median age on patrol in my agency is like 28 or 29 years wow. old. Um, many of whom are not veterans, right? Mm. And, and even the veterans, not all of them have been in a combat situation right but right. uh we had this dude um i don't think it fits the definition of an active shooter nobody was actually hit by this guy but he sent something north of like 150 200 rounds at us uh wow. across uh from a rifle and a handgun which by the way to those of you listening yeah we like my officers uh and friends got shot at with an ar-15 none of us are looking to take anybody's ar-15 away but that's right. just a, a side <laughs> just just to knock that one out of the way right. real quick but we're at one point in time, sprinting from this house that we were holding on because we thought he was in the backyard, and we've got just all the shit we normally wear: his twenty-five pound vest with right. the radio, the taser, all that stuff, uh, the the gun belt, uh, uh, an eight pound or so, right around there, AR fifteen, and then we throw on our steel plate plate carriers, which right. the department provides for us because not everybody's going to go out and buy their own plate carrier. Right? right. So you're looking at fifty or sixty additional pounds of mm-hmm. equipment. And yeah, you're gassed. Like we had oh, ran yeah. a quarter mile one direction and then they sent three of us back a quarter mile the other way. I ended up climbing up on a rooftop with uh, an A-frame ladder I found in somebody's front yard. Like, but there are officers, uh, that, that everybody listening or, or even if you're not a cop, you've seen officers out there and you're like, Oh, like really dude. Right. Like, like your uniform looks like shit. You look like you right. ate an entire pizza by yourself and you're, is that whole asset versus liability thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's officers that are, you're like, yeah, I don't really want you coming up on my call. Right. And, and, you, and if you have the, I mean, truly, if you have the balls to bring it up to them, they're going to tell you, oh, I've been doing this for 47 years and nothing like this has ever happened. And, I mean, you look at, like, my sergeant's been doing this for going on 20 years, and she'll tell you that that, that shooting that we all experienced that was, she'd never seen anything like it in 20 right. years. And so to sit there and get complacent because, oh, it's never happened before, that that sort of small-town mentality, that's not going to cut it. That's scary. It's scary because it's just, yeah. just going to turn you into, like, I don't, compla- it's a complacency in its right. purest form, right? You're just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's never happened to me. Right. Well, what happens when it does happen? I mean, what, yeah, what's going to go down? Yeah. Like, are you going to be able to fight that dude who's six foot three right. and is not going back to prison? Right. Are you going to be able to chase after that dude who just shanked somebody in an alleyway, right? Um, you know, I have I have my own opinions on chasing people for doing things like swiping alcohol from a grocery store. I mean, you got to ask if the juice is worth the squeeze on some of right, that stuff. But right. I don't want to, 29 years old, I want to blow out a knee chasing somebody for a $7 bottle of, right. you know, plastic bottle of vodka that just tastes right. like straight. <laughs> um, um, going, going forward... Um, is there anywhere that, I mean, you mentioned LAPD, which by the way, I think I talked to a, a buddy of mine, Josh, uh, he, his, uh, wife is a former Chicago officer and he got to wow. go on, he got to go and ride with Chicago's gang unit for oh, a wow. day. 
I would love to go and ride with LAPD for a day just to see what, like, what yeah. that in law enforcement, you take, like, where I work versus LAPD, and LAPD is like, oh, like, well, that's cool. Like, you yeah. guys, you guys do that? Like, that's right. awesome. Is there anywhere, I mean, you, you mentioned Los Angeles. Is there anywhere you would love to get out to and, and tend to be able to film and document what you're seeing? Um, I would love New York, man. New York, just yeah. Just because it's so big. Yeah. You know, that, like, yeah. what's their departments? Like, thousands or something? Thousands of officers who, yeah. uh, as I understand it, are all fairly disgruntled. Uh, yeah. And, that, and they're and I setting still like, records for retirement. But. Right. Just right now, just to see, you know, what, what that's like. And then, I, you know, I, and then the hot spots, I'd like to be, I'd like to go check out Portland. Yeah. You know, that they're like every freaking night, you know, and that, I feel like the leadership there sucks. Yeah, it's uh, in my opinion, but I'd still like to you know ride with those because I feel like that's not the whole sentiment on the ground, you know. Oh yeah, on the ground, the guys that are there fighting, you know, that you know, I feel for those officers, man. Every fucking day they're out there dealing with these idiots, and they don't have the leadership to actually put their foot down and say enough is enough. You know, I think that's kind of sidetracking, but I think that's what's awesome here in in Arizona and Phoenix, especially, man. You know, is uh, they're not playing fucking games with these people, dude. Right. You know, and I think that's great. Well, and even if, I mean, even if you don't have, and then not speaking about my own agency with this, but even if you don't have that true, like, you know, from the top, mm-hmm. I'm talking about city council, mayor, the whole nine yards, even if they're not, you know, on point and, and with their officers, mm-hmm. I've been fortunate that the four or five direct line supervisors, my sergeants, my lieutenants have all been upstanding. They've all, they're, they're still cops, cops, right? They're, That's they're awesome. out there, you know, wanting to you know, Hey, Hey, what'd you just say about my guy? Like, right. No, no, no. That's not, that's not going to fucking fly. Like I'm going to go to bat for my dude. If mm-hmm. you fuck up, they'll be the first ones to tell you. Right. Uh, that's which how I think should is, be. is part of being a great leader. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's how it should be. I mean, you don't have to have to be chesty puller to, <laughs> to be a great leader. Right. Although I'm right. sure we'd, we'd like that to happen. Um, and, and you've probably seen terrible leadership in the military. Yeah. I think, I think we all have, even if it's not in, uh, you know, within your own organization, mm-hmm. you can look at, at other places and be like, uh, really? Like that's going to be, sure. yeah. that's going to be your response. Yeah. Um, yeah, to, to get out and, and speak to those officers, uh, that are, that are out there on the ground. It's something I would like, to, I'd like to get one of them, you know, somebody on the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully in the next, Hopefully on Black Friday I'll pick up a, a roadcast uh, roadcaster. Yeah, pro. is that roadcaster what, is? what pro, we're talking yeah. about earlier? And I'll be able to, to Bluetooth people in through the phone. And yeah, it's easy. We'll be able to have have some pretty uh, legit conversations. Um, but yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Seeing some of these major cities where these hot spots is truly mm-hmm. what it is, and just just to to understand, just be a fly on the wall in, in a right. briefing room, and just yeah. to see see the toll that it's taking. You know? Yeah, I think that'd be. That'd be a pretty interesting uh, dynamic and a, and a different part that all throughout COVID and 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 after uh, George Floyd's death, um, which I don't know one cop that stood up for for Derek Chauvin when, when it happened. Right, uh, not, not one, one person. You no. know, um, even even cops that I know who would ordinarily be the first to be like, "Well, hang on, let's wait." And even they were like, "Oh shit, like that? No, dude, that's not okay." Right, um, absolutely. But. Uh, yeah, it would it would be it would be interesting. People have come up to me and been like, "Hey, you, you doing okay out there?" Like, or you know, "Hey, or how are you? How are you and your team doing?" And it's like we're we're lucky. Mm-hmm. Like you look at, at where we live and work here in Arizona, right? And by and large, uh, the community shit take politics out of it. By and large, the community appreciates having us around. You know, right. um, 
from from low income up to you know the wealthiest people in, mm. in your town everybody's willing to, to wave at you and smile and, right. and have a conversation with you there there's a, a, a transient dude that's on a corner of a road uh, two major streets in my beat he and I are on a first name basis and he's always awesome. wanting to, to check in and he asks about other officers that he's interacted with God only knows how long he's been standing on that corner right uh, you know years and mm. and he asks about officers that are now detectives and sergeants and lieutenants and the support is out there. Yeah. So media won't show that though. No, right now. <laughs> no, not right now. My, uh, you know, for the most part, I can remember talking to my brother-in-law about, about all this stuff. Uh, cause he's, he's, uh, going on 20 years. Uh, and he's a person's crimes detective out in California. And, um, he was a cop when nine 11 happened. Mm-hmm. Um, which I always think is an interesting, uh, it's an, it's an interesting dichotomy between the people who, were either in law enforcement pre 9-11 and they saw it all go down and mm-hmm. they saw the the outpouring of public support afterwards. Right. Ver, and, and, but those are the, f- the same cops that are going to look at my generation of police officers and be like, uh, yeah, I would not sign up for your shit right now. You know, it's you know, it's wild just on that point right there is I've my one of my buddies, his father is a long time. He's uh, he, he was with uh, he started get him with DPS. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Paco Marcel and. Uh, you know, he, he's the same kind of the same way as what is what is what I heard. You know, it's like it's hard, it's hard right now for for you guys to as far as like what you're going through, and they're like that's crazy. You know, just the whole the whole climate and everything, and then even sometimes the culture within departments. It's like more. I don't know. It's just not like how it was from what I've heard. Right. You know, from what I've heard. Yeah, you uh, you talked to. to <clears throat> Senior officers, and I don't mean senior as in like they get a discount at Denny's. I mean seniors, and they've been doing this shit mm. for longer than me. Um, and even they'll be the first ones to tell you, like, oh, it didn't used to be like this. Right. Like, and recruitment's hard right now, from what I've heard. From yeah, yeah. I'm having uh, hoping to bring on. Um, he and I have been in contact. The uh, chief deputy uh, uh, Matt Thomas from PCSO, and one of my one of the points that I want to hit with him, and I was even talking to one of my own lieutenants about this. Um, and, and he's willing to come on and talk about it, but how once you get up to that level of administrative duties where you're uh, handling recruiting and even, even into field training, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a different generation. Right. Uh, what are the challenges that are being faced with with recruiting? But, I mean, you look also at, like, the military, and for a while, I mean, military was handing out $40,000 signing bonuses. Yeah. Um, and there are agencies right now that they just simply... They're not, they don't have the money to hand somebody 40 G's, right. right? Or even, you know, maybe maybe five grand or so. But you look at agencies that I, I think that you're going to see a bigger push towards, hey, you know, this is what the, the pension is something that's always been known. It's always mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I'll do this for 20, 25 years and I'll have a nice pension. Right. Except we live on average something like seven years after our pension. Right. So it's so many cops out there are like, well, I'm going back to school. Oh, well, I'm, you know, and even if a department is able to work with their city to get some form of tuition reimbursement or shit, put out a, a scholarship program yeah. that might help push officers yeah. into that position. And there's, there's other functions that, that people can do. You know, if you're looking solely at, um, like data and intelligence gathering, maybe that doesn't need to be a position held by a sworn police officer. But right. you, can, you can bring in somebody who's like, yeah, absolutely. I will never go work in a jail. I'm not going to go fish heroines out of somebody's prison purse. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to go and, uh, you know, get cut from a rusty needle, but, Oh, I can find people all day long. Right. And, and so, you know, I, 
I don't know if that's necessarily defunding because you're just taking a sworn position and making it into a, a non-sworn mm-hmm. uh, function. But I, I'm wondering if we're going to start to see more of that. And there's also, a, you know, an influx of uh, technology. Have you started using like drones at all for anything? I do have feel? a drone. Okay. I, and, and honestly, I, I used it a couple times. The last time I used it was over um, a protest that was in Tempe. And they started shooting lasers at it. So <laughs> the, the protesters, or the cops, the protesters. Okay. <laughs> and then I was, I was like, you know, uh, and they all ran. Who the fuck are you? You're a cop. Are you a cop? And they thought I was a cop drone. I'm like, no, man. Well, and and it's, it's like, I'm not going to deal with these assholes. We, again, we tend you know? to think that uh, as cops, we tend to think that our drone programs are like super secret, like we're the CIA or something. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, they know that we're out there. It's commonly used technology now. Right. I mean, right. it's just even what, two years ago I was, uh, it was at like a, our union holds a function every year where we can go. It's kind of like a, for those of you who watch Seinfeld, it's like Festivus. It's like the airing of grievances, but you can also come up. That's where the good idea fairies come out. Like, I think okay. we should have a horse and this and that yeah. and everything. And, um, I was told no about the horse, by the way, and the helicopter. But one thing I hit <laughs> on was like, Hey, patrol drone operators. Right. Um, and I had a guy and I said, cause that, you know, graveyards, like we don't have all the same staffing that you do on like weekday day shift you've got SWAT officers there and you've got all these other ancillary uh-huh. functions that will come and assist you. Um, graveyards, it's, it's like, you know, six cops and hopefully the canines working that night also. Right. You don't, you don't want to put the dog in undue harm trying to look for somebody. And this guy came up to me and he was like, dude, night vision and drones is like 10 years out. Okay. We're just not going to get it. Oh, bullshit. We just used a drone right. the other night. Right. And even though I don't know that it was equipped with night vision, that thing had a thousand lumen spotlight attached to it. Wow. And it's still a little, you know, yeah, yeah. like a small, like uh, just commercially available yeah. uh, drone. And there's some agencies that are, uh, I didn't read too much into the article, but they're starting to answer calls for service with with these unmanned aerial vehicles. And I will tell you this. I went, when I went to purchase my drone, I, I, I went to the actual DJI store. I got a pretty high end one. It was pretty expensive. And I was talking to the guy there. Um, this was a little bit after the whole first volley of protests mm-hmm. that were going on in Phoenix, and they were actually contracted by Phoenix, and they had their own drone up. It was called the DJI Matrix, I believe. And this is like we're talking like a twenty thousand dollar drone. This Holy is, crap! And it looks like a like you look at it, it looks like a mini helicopter, but that thing had everything. It had uh, they they mounted their it, it doesn't come with the camera. You mount things on it. Okay. So they had like their facial recognition on there, like their thermals. They had everything on that shit. But, um, yeah, they're out there, you know? Yeah, and it's – and P, I've, I mean, I've heard kind of – I've heard the people say – it's just like the topic about militarization, right? People mm. are like, well, you don't need to look like, why do you need all that body armor and laid out like that? And, oh, well, why do you need a drone? It's right. like, look, because the drone, you can replace a drone right. pretty easily. I just mm. go out and buy another one, and it's like $1,000, right? right. Uh, you can't hand my wife $1,000 right. and, like, pat my kid on the head and be like, oh, yeah, hey, well, yeah, right. see you later. You know, and it's like there are some people who, oh, you can replace a dog. You can't replace to that handler. You can't replace right. that dog. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I, again, I don't want I treat the canines that I work with as part of my team when I'm mm-hmm. working with them. Um, and I have nothing but respect for the uh, their handlers. Um, and it would be the same if it, any other agency or if I had been in the military. I You don't want to see that dog come to any undue harm. I would right. rather put lights and clockwork and some whirring gears up there, you know, same with a, a robot on the ground or a robot up in the sky. I would rather right. put that somewhere where it may come to harm mm-hmm. rather than 
you know, one of my officers. Like right. if I can, there's a dude hiding in a bush with a handgun waiting to shoot one of us when we come into a backyard because he's just done a home invasion. Well, I'd rather see him with a drone with thermal optics and then we can play the game and we can be as smart and as safe as humanly possible before right. we ever even set foot beyond that, the side gate right. that leads into the backyard, you right. know? And the people against that have never been in those situations. They don't understand. Right. They're well, ignorant. You can't talk to them. It's just like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> like wearing, wearing rifle-rated armor. Like, right. I don't want to have to wear rifle-rated right. armor, but God damn it, I'm glad that I have it. Absolutely. You know, like, I don't, yeah. don't want to ever have to shoot anybody 100 yards away, but I'm glad that right. I have a rifle and the right. training with the cap- that gives me the capability to do that. Right. Because in the situation, or in the event that a situation occurs where I need to have rifle-rated armor and a rifle... Mm-hmm. I'm going to be extremely happy that I have mm. both of those things. And nobody's ever complaining about the militarization of law enforcement when cops that are in plate carriers, that are carrying rifles, that are carrying like 40 millimeter launchers, the people who they are working to save are not going to, uh, no, excuse me, can you send somebody over here who doesn't look like they right. just dropped out of right. like a Charlie Sheen Navy SEAL movie? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's, and you remember the, I think I posted a while back um, was the whole the LAPD or the LAPD situation with the bank robbers. Yeah. Yep. And that, that was like a huge turning point. It was for the country as far as like what officers carried was that whole thing, man. Yeah. And that's like a perfect example of what could happen. And I think a lot of, I think situations like that, um, have that like people know, you know, like they'll come out with the shit. Like law enforcement will show up with the shit. Right. You know? So I think it's actually prevented a lot of things, you know, which is great. Yeah. You know? I mean, we've, we've rolled into situations before where, uh, several, uh, two of us on my patrol team, uh, myself and my buddy Brent are, are qualified to carry the 40 millimeter. Mm-hmm. It's not a grenade launcher. I think it's technically, it could be, but we use, we use, yeah. yeah, we use the, the rubber munitions in it. Um, but I remember Brent rolled up to a call and, and brought that thing out and everybody that was involved with this. And like, it was like, there was a shift right there. You yeah. to oh, you got a handgun on your hip. Like, mm, right. yeah, what else is new? Oh, oh shit. You've got a grenade launcher. And right. they all like sat down, like fingers interlaced behind their heads. Yeah. And they all became super compliant because they look at that. It's amazing. And, how yeah. That they, they look at that and either go, that motherfucker's unstable. He's got a grenade launcher. Right. Or like that looks like it'll hurt me. Right. And you know, it's like it, the same as I'm sure somebody at one point in time complained about cops still using horses. You talk to a Tempe uh, mounted unit. It's a two ton roadblock that does whatever I tell it to. Exactly. Within reason. Um, but uh, yeah, talking to, uh, again, my brother-in-law is a, a cop who he was, he was in California when that happened. Uh, oh, wow. Working, uh, he didn't work for LAPD. I think he worked for LA County Sheriff's at the time. But he's like, yeah, it was pretty much one of those like overnight things. Like mm-hmm. the shotguns all left vehicles and they were all replaced by Right. By like the true M16 rifles. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's our, you know, the AR-15s. Um, and now we've got, you know, rifle rated armor that, mm-hmm. and it gets smaller and lighter and smaller and lighter. And, and I would imagine at some point in time, our soft body armor vests that we wear that they will just come soft body armor capable of stopping rifle rounds. Yeah. I and mean, the technology is already out there, but it's mm. sometimes prohibitively expensive. Right. So, right. but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting world, man, and it's certainly uh, it's got to be interesting seeing it through the lens of your camera. Uh, and I know I'd speak for a lot of just about every cop that I've talked to that knows that uh, that your social media account, they're all super happy that you're out there because you're out there and you're showing our side of things. That's awesome, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys, you know. And like I like I get messages all the time, so that's always cool. Um, 
sometimes officers, hey, that's me. Can you send me that photo? Yeah. I'm like, awesome, thanks. You know? I, I did. You know? Yeah, I, I, I work with a guy who reposted <laughs> one of your videos, and I was like, oh, shit, I know him. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, that, so that's always awesome is when, when I get those messages and stuff. Because, you know, I don't – I get them, and I obviously it's usually fluid situations. Hey, by the way, you know, do you have an Instagram? I'll send you this photo. You right. Know? So that's always awesome. I, it's actually – it's a good time to put that out there. If there's anybody that is listening, that's a, a law enforcement officer, you see yourself on my page, just message me, you know, I'll send you the, send you the photo. Hell yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's uh dark horse underscore Lionheart. And you're also on parlor now, right? No, I'm on parlor. Mass exodus over to parlor. Yeah, I'm still getting, still getting the hang of it. I don't, I never had a Twitter. I have an account, but I've never used it. Yeah. So I, I'm still, I, think I, I guess it's similar account, to never that. Touched it, so I don't, I'm still, I'm still, uh, I'm still figuring out like how it all works. Yeah. Yeah, I, I blue line millennials on parlor. I'm still sitting there. Try, I, it took me 15 minutes this morning to figure out how to even write a post. So, but we're getting there. We're gonna learn. Yeah. We're gonna get through this journey together, guys. Awesome. So, Matt, uh, dude, I really appreciate you coming down and and taking the time out of your day to come out here and talk. Uh, the the last question, the the icebreaker question, and the last question are the same uh, for everybody. You've got a a microphone to the world. What do you want to say? Oh wow. Um, I hit you with that one. That one comes. Dude, way out yeah, I gotta think. I have to edit this one a little bit. Give me, a, give me time to think. Um, you know, we're going, we're going through a, a very significant time in history in this country, and I, and I, you know, I just want to. It's not, it's not really what I want to say, but I, it's what, it's for what I hope. You know, I hope that we as a nation can, uh, you know, get back to. Back to even just where we were, you know, like 15, 20 years ago, you know, just the unity. Like you said, 9-11, man, uh, September 12th, you know, that year. Right, right. Just, just that, you know, that would be great. You know, um, there's a lot of division in this country, you know, and, and as a veteran, it's, it's hard to watch. It's hard to see. You know, everyone's got their own thoughts, but I just feel like, you know, there's definitely a lot of moving parts, and I feel like we have a we have a as a country, we have an uphill battle, you know, so mm -hmm. I just hope that we can all, you know, get back to that. Um, I like to call it the September 12th mood, you know, uh, even though that was like such a horrible thing to happen. I'm talking about like the actual, the, the bond that, that came right after that. You Absolutely. Know? There, there was no, there was no, uh, you know, sentiment toward each other. We, we were all Americans, you know, and, that, yeah. and that's what I hope, that's what I hope we can get back to, you know, so. Yeah, you never you never want to see an incident like nine eleven. Truly, um, hopefully that was a that was a once in a lifetime. Uh, granted, a very negative once right. in a lifetime, but truly, you you never want to see it again. But but to to be there on nine twelve right. with I mean American flags adorning every house on every yeah, and that's street what I'm talking and, about is like that actual like obviously the incident was horrible, you know, and you know, uh, you know, God rest all everybody that that was killed that day. But yeah, like like you're saying, you know, just the whole unity at that time would be an awesome energy to, to get back, you know, to get yeah. back. And then I don't know, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I, I believe it's possible. I, you know, I have faith in this country, you know, my dad went through, uh, you know, the Vietnam era, which was a turbulent time, you know, that, that whole incident or the whole ending of that and the protests and everything. So we'll, we'll do it. It's going to take time. Right. You know? It's going to take time. It's going to take time and, and, and effort. So, but I think that I think that we can make it out, man. I think we can get out of this. Yeah. And, and then one more thing, appreciate all the law enforcement officers, you, everybody across the country, man. Appreciate you guys and what you do. I know it's not a, an easy job. I'm friends with a lot of you guys, and I speak with, with many daily, you know, in group texts and stuff. And just to see what you guys go through, uh, 
you know, just know, you know, it's kind of cliche at this point to sign the majority, but, you know, we, we are out there. We do support you guys, and there's, there's a lot more of us than there are of them, in my opinion. Hell, yeah. We, we love hearing it, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and to every law enforcement officer out there, I, again, the invitation's always open. You, it's been a hell of a year. Uh, just send me a message if you need to get shit off your chest or, you know, it's we've talked uh, hit on, on mental health uh, a little bit on this episode. And it's I think it's going to be a recurring theme as I go forward with pretty much everybody that I interview, uh, just because we're finally the machine is finally turning towards taking a greater understanding towards uh, keeping our mental health strong, you know. Um, so by all means, uh, to those of you men and women out there holding the line, just uh, just send me a message if you need to. You just need a third party to talk to. So uh, with that, Matt, man, thanks again for coming Thank on. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. We uh, we love to having you out here. We'll have to bring you on again. We'll have to bring you. It'll be like our own life, PD. Like you'll be our, our guest uh, presenter. I'll every do now it. And yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm with it, man. Let me know. Yeah, I'll, hell yeah, I'll, dude. I'll do that. I'm uh, all about that. So with that, everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Blue Line Millennial. Stay safe. We'll see you on the road.